So yeah, man, I think the characters are extraordinarily relevant to um, Gen Xers and old millennials, but mostly Gen Xers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Gen Xers grew up with these characters like the the Fry Kids and Grimace and the Hamburglar and Ronald and Birdie and and all these folks, right? Who were awesome. Like, we remember seeing the commercials. We remember getting the VHS tapes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and looking at all those things. I think that we, uh, as old millennials and then Gen Xers, have a, uh, 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 have a nostalgic connection to brand McDonald's that other folks don't have, right? Um, and I think that uh, uh, it's unfortunate that now a lot of the, the connections to brand McDonald's for kids that grew up as younger millennials and into uh, these Gen Zs are viewing McDonald's much more so as the brand that uh, of Supersize Me than the brand of these awesome characters. That was the voice of Kyle Webb, the CFO of Webb Family Enterprises, which includes 16 McDonald's franchises from the IE, Inland Empire, to Los Angeles. Kyle is also a social activist, and he will share those efforts with us during today's podcast. So listen carefully. With Trent the Jet, they like agents on top of pavements, peppermint patty fragrance. Taking the credits when they spits and spritz a chip and dip a dip and dell. I pin the tail. Death throw the penalty ID, throwing identity. That's crime in the night. Pick pop, keep the lock, stop, drop, roll the dice, double double dough, eat the rock road. Rochambeau, tic tac toe, crossing a road with the nice flow. With my energy, you see me room, room, play Monopoly. With my commodities, stop the eyes and cross the T's. T's. How do you do, Venters? So welcome today to the another edition of Vent with Trent the Gent. And I am now, I've ventured out to the IE. I rarely get out here, so I'm really excited to be in the IE today. I'm sitting with my friend. He is the CFO of Web Family Enterprises. And believe me when I say this, it is truly a, an enterprise. When I walked into the office, I'm like, wow, this is like grandiose and, and, and great. But uh, my friend's name is Carl Webb. As I said, he's the CFO of the Webb Family Enterprises, uh, which includes 16 McDonald franchises. And um, he is also the CFO of an organization called SEAM. And we'll get into that a little bit later in the podcast. I'm sure he's going to share that with us and all the efforts that he's putting into that. So with that said, Kyle, I want to welcome you to Vent with Trent, the gent. Man, thank you so much for having me on today. Um, thank you for making this drive out to the IE <laughs> so you can see how we kick it in this summertime heat. Exactly. It is very hot, but we are, but like I said, we're, we're living in luxury right now in, in the air. So every bit with Trent the Gent, I always like to start off with some type of humble beginnings in the beginning. So with you, I'm going to ask you, what was your first job? Because I think most of our listeners or someone that they know probably can relate to their first job was at a fast food restaurant like McDonald's. So uh, what was your first job? Well, uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> so my first job was at McDonald's. Okay. Um, I started at uh, eight or nine years old when my dad or mom were going to work. And if I didn't have anything to do, let's say it was a Saturday uh, and my mom was at work and my dad was at work. There was no place for me to go but work. 
And so I would do lot lobby and lot and lobby, just clean tables and clean uh, the floors and clean the outside uh, all day uh, as long as my parents were at work and I didn't have a sporting activity or I didn't have anywhere uh, else to go. So I would say that was my first official job, but I've been hustling up paper all my life. So, I mean, on campus at the same time, uh, when we were in grade school, me and my friends, we would host basketball camp for $5 a day at lunchtime. And so we would be taking these kids lunch money to, to teach them, kids our own age, uh-huh. how to play basketball. We sold pet rocks before it was a commercialized thing. Uh, we sold pillows. like you know, so We would sell just about anything. We were always about making money and doing it together. And we loved it. None of us really uh, had the bug to do it outside of that group of the, the three or four of us uh, together. Now, I'm just trying to do the math here. Something, something's off. You mentioned a pet rock. And when I was, and I'm, I'm much older than you. So when I was probably in, I think I was in elementary school when the pet rock was the thing. So how, how are you talking about pet rock? So when I was age? in high school, they came back. So let me rephrase that. <laughs> oh, did it? Yeah. I don't even remember. Let me say back. before the pet rock came back, uh, <laughs> we had sold the pet rock. Uh, I have some friends, their grandmother, uh, or great grandmother, sorry, lived in Alabama, uh, and when they came back to California, they had a sack full of rocks and they were awesome and uh, had some interesting colors and lines and designs. And uh, and so we just started slinging them on campus like these are awesome because <laughs> uh, everybody had a geology wish at that age. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. Dinosaurs and big rocks. How did that business work out for you? I mean, was it? I mean, we sold them all. Really? Yeah. So once we ran out of inventory, we were like, well, there was no going back to Alabama for that. So we had to wait till the next summer yeah. and then the next summer passed. And I don't think they went to Alabama the next summer, the following school year, they, uh, they transferred. And so that was that. But, uh, you know, those cats, Eric Cameron, Yonson, those are still some of my best friends in life. We played basketball with each other, against each other from the time we were three years old until, uh, until and through high school. And so, uh, you know, we still hang out. Uh, they went to Cal and, and, uh, Cal state LA, uh, and then now we all hang out. The three of them live in the Bay. I'm still here in Southern California, but we go. try to get up every so often. So basketball, I'm a big basketball fan too. So since you brought it up, we have to touch upon basketball. So LeBron, LeBron James, LeBron James being in LA now, and I'm sure being in the IE. Are there going to be any preseason games over here in? Ontario? No, or, not any preseason what? Laker games. But you know, the Clippers G League affiliate plays right here at the uh, um, at the uh, Citizens Business Bank mm-hmm. Arena right here down the street in yeah. Ontario. And so I'm assuming as part of that contract, the Lakers can't play out here anymore. Oh, that's, that's my assumption. I yeah. don't know that to be true. Okay, well, too but bad for Clippers, the IE then. 100%. Exactly. Because I'd be in there like, <laughs> with the quicks, man. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, man. Let's, uh, I, I read something. And obviously, with what you told us beginning about the, the pet rocks and teaching, um, having the basketball camps, you have that inherently, it sounds like you have that entrepreneurial spirit inside of you. I read somewhere that when your dad used to take you to school, he would um, make some business calls while you were in the, in, the, in the car, probably in the back seat. If anything, and, and actually, I think I read something that you learned from those calls that people were people were just people, regardless of who they are. Is there anything else that you might have learned, you know, back there in the seat, listening to those calls that maybe you still apply to, to your business today? 
Yeah, I would say the overarching experience of having parents who are both entrepreneurs uh, seeds something within you, right? And so you get to see what it's like to be the boss. You get to see what it's like for the buck to stop with you. And that as an expectation goes uh, weighs heavy uh, on a kid. Um, I was very blessed to have that as an experience. Specifically, um, you know, I, we lived about 25, 30 miles away from where our restaurants were. Um, and so uh, every day on that commute, and I went to school uh, in and around where our restaurants were. And so every day on that commute, um, to school in the office, uh, my dad would schedule his calls with the people on the East Coast. Uh, and so 7 a.m. for us, 10 a.m. for them. Uh, it was good timing. Uh, and I got to just experience and listen in on what it was like uh, to lead a group of leaders uh, uh, as a call. And so at the time, my dad was the president of the Black McDonald's Owner Operators Association. Uh, so he was a president of all the black um, franchisees across the nation. Mm. Um, and they were in this negotiation with McDonald's Corporation. And so every day I would uh, be able to listen to these people talk about the struggle and talk about uh, the strategy that they were coming up with to uh, uh, have this negotiation with McDonald's. Now, the awesome part was the result of the negotiation uh, led to an agreement we call a parity agreement, um, which states that um, McDonald's will uh, um, or McDonald's has agreed that the same percentage of the population that black people will reflect, we will reflect as franchisees, um, as suppliers, and we will be as successful. So we will have the same similar number of restaurants or percentage proportion of restaurants and a similar proportion of cash flow provided by those restaurants. So today we're somewhere around 13, 14% of the population. We have somewhere between 12 and 14% of the, mm -hmm. of the franchisee group, 12 and 14% of the uh, franchised restaurants and about 14% of the cash flow produced by those restaurants. Uh, we feel like this is the only, uh, the only agreement that has been struck with a Fortune 500 company and any constituents, whether it's suppliers or otherwise, uh, in the annals of history. And so we are very proud to be, uh, uh, to be in that lineage. Well, that's what I grew up listening to on my way to school. It was like the ultimate how to conduct business podcast. Yeah. And so for me, like my experience were, so, were experiences have been so awesome and so robust um, that, you know, it's it just seated in me that I wanted to uh, to do this thing. Yeah, that's that's great stuff to learn as a little kid. And obviously we, we all could be uh, could benefit from that, you know, so hopefully that's you don't have kids, right? No, yeah, not yet. Yeah, exactly. So obviously as when you do, right, your kids will learn from you and so on and so on and right this this that lineage as you said that we're gonna give to to the future and have them be entrepreneurs as well. Absolutely. It's about creating a legacy. Yes. You mentioned the word, you said overarching experiences. So I have to, <laughs> the golden arches, I have to go, I have to stick with, with arching. Once again, I'm dating myself. So I, just, <laughs> I guess this would be good McDonald's history. Let's see if, if you know. Do you remember or recall, obviously you would know. The, the 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 characters the McDonald characters you exactly mean the ones I'm wearing on my shirt the, the right ones now that you have it on your shirt yeah so for our audience audience purposes could you mention all those and you know what it means to the franchise or if, if, if there's any relevance there with with those characters 
So yeah, man, I think the characters are extraordinarily relevant to um, Gen Xers and old millennials, but mostly Gen Xers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Gen Xers grew up with these characters like the the Fry Kids and Grimace and the Hamburglar and Ronald and Birdie and and all these folks, right? Who were awesome. Like, we remember seeing the commercials. We remember getting the VHS tapes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and looking at all those things. I think that we, uh, as old millennials and then Gen Xers, have a, uh, 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 have a nostalgic connection to brand McDonald's that other folks don't have, right? Um, and I think that uh, uh, it's unfortunate that now a lot of the, the connections to brand McDonald's for kids that grew up as younger millennials and into uh, these Gen Zs are viewing McDonald's much more so as the brand that uh, of supersize me than the brand of these awesome characters. But the truth of the matter is most people that own McDonald's are hardworking folks that own McDonald's in the neighborhoods that they live, work and play. Right. And that's what we do for a living. We like the fact that we get to provide America's best first job at any given point uh, to people in the communities where we all have lived, worked and played. And so, you know, my neighborhood, uh, McDonald's growing up is one that my parents own. The one right next to my high school is one that my parents own, or the three closest at the time were, were ones that my parents own. And so for me, it was always a, a, a bit of pride to have grown up in that environment where, um, you know, we had a stake in our community because that's who we are. And it was the same thing as represented by, by these characters. Right. Like there is a community of people that have that nostalgic feeling uh, uh, to these characters. And it's, it's one of the things that has endeared us over time. I appreciate that answer is more than what I thought you were going to give me. So thank you <laughs> for that. Um, so we, we have that connection. Right. That most of the um, most of the younger millennials don't have. What is. What's one of the things on the menu that actually is going under the radar that most listeners should know about and probably should give it a try and, and order it? Is there any, anything that kind of flies under the radar that's better than most people would think? So I'm going to have two answers to that because one thing, it, 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 it tugs at my heartstrings. Uh, we just discontinued our breakfast bowls. And so we would have... Um, turkey sausage and kale and uh, an egg white in a breakfast bowl. Um, and that was discontinued because people don't order it. You know, it's one of those that things. That was one like, of the healthier options, yeah, right? Right. And you found out they didn't order it. Yeah. And so for me, it's like I wish that people would order those things more, right? It complicates our operation, a lot of those other things. But, you know, like we're here to provide a, uh, a well-balanced opportunity to eat, not just what we traditionally want to eat when we go to McDonald's. So I wish that people were making better choices and were leveraging McDonald's to be able to make those better choices. So with that, I'm going to sit out here and say salad. Okay, salad. Wow. So you, But you still have, yeah, you have the salads. Right. Wow. And so I still yeah. order all the things except instead of turkey sauce, so regular sausage. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll order the rest of those things a la carte and we could still uh, we could still put it in a bowl type structure yeah. or in the same plate that we serve the hotcakes or the wow. deluxe big breakfast in. So there you have it, Ventures. Get your salads at McDonald's. Um, they're great. But the other thing I'll tell you, too, uh-huh. about like menu items at McDonald's, my favorite one right now off the menu. Oh, um, this is a secret menu? Secret menu. menu. Oh, so, like. I, I like to use the ingredients for our limited time offer stuff. So we used to have, and it'll come back uh, uh, once a quarter per year. 
um, a uh, pico guacamole burger. And so I'll take like French fries and put all the fixings of the pico guacamole burger, like grilled chicken, pico de gallo, guacamole, some shredded cheese, and some salsa, and put those on top of the French fries, and I'll have pico guacamole fries. We have a couple of restaurants where people have seen me do it, and then we started to sell those almost as a menu item. Now, I might get in trouble for saying this in real life, (laughs) but as long as it's in the restaurant, we can ring it up. We want to give it to you. So, you know, pico guac fries. Why not? not? You're not changing how you make the fries. It's it's all good. Exactly. Um I have a cousin who loves McRibs, <laughs> so she would probably be mad at me if I didn't mention McRib. You have anything to say about the McRib? Uh, I mean, she she loves those things. Man, so. I think the barbecue sauce is amazing. Really? Uh, uh, it's messy, uh, but you know, it's all to the good. Um, you know, we have a video uh, series that we put out um, a few years ago, and it started in Canada, um, and it uh, identifies like the entire supply chain of some of the items like chicken mcnuggets and french fries and so from the farmer and so you get to meet the farmer and what the farmer's like who else they supply and a lot of those other things and it takes you through the entire supply chain until it comes out as this a sandwich or a, a box or bag of fries uh for you as a customer and one of those items uh, was the mcrib so it takes you like from the pig farm through um the uh, uh i believe it is cargill but i could be uh, i could be wrong about that but through the plant where the 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 uh, the uh the pork is taken and turned into uh um uh uh, uh get ready for the mcrib uh-huh. and then um and then uh, uh uh packaged and then shipped out to us so that we can uh, prepare it for customers wow so it's a pretty That's awesome that, experience that is for um, the ventures who didn't know or haven't looked you up by now, you attended Morehouse. Uh, Morehouse? <laughs> there you go. Why Why did you select an HBCU, a Historically Black College or University? And hindsight, what were some of the benefits that, um, that you got from attending um, an HBCU like Morehouse? So... I only applied to three schools and really I only applied to two. So I was getting recruited in football to go to Dartmouth. Okay. Um, wow. And then uh, I could have uh, 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 gone to, to Duke um, or, Another whoa. or Morehouse. And okay. so um, I only applied to schools on the East Coast. Uh, I wanted to get away. Um, one of the things I know about my... Uh, about my parents is uh, an hour long of a flight means that they can come for dinner. So, uh, 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 so I wanted to be uh, far away to get that, that experience on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother went to Morehouse, and so it was the only HBCU that I applied for just because growing up in a household where I hear so much uh, about Morehouse and whatnot. And so um, uh, when I got my package from Morehouse, um, I, it was the day before... I uh, uh, had a recruiting visit with the coach uh, that was recruiting me from from Dartmouth, and I got him on the phone. I was like, "Listen, Morehouse offered me a full academic scholarship, and I don't have to like bust my knees up and my brain up to play this football. Um, I don't know if that's the move for me." And so I accepted uh, the package from Morehouse, uh, and it was the best decision I ever made. Um, you know, I tell kids all the time, no matter where you want to go to school, especially black kids all the time, no matter where you want to go to school, study abroad and study abroad twice. Uh, the first time study abroad 
um, when you're very young in your matriculation and take your history classes at a historically black college. There is nothing like taking history from the perspective of your ancestors with the people who are of the same lineage as your ancestors, right? And that's something that we are not given in the traditional school system uh, here in America. And so it's something that's powerful uh, about that experience. And so uh, from my freshman year, having taken history uh, from that perspective, it was just something that I loved. I love being across the street. You know, for those that don't know, Morehouse is an all-male college, uh, but across the street, uh, is really just across an alley and a fence it was an all women's college Spelman college and so it's like we were like brother and sister school when you combine us we had about 5,000 undergrads which is a you know decent sized school but we also uh, partially shared a campus with Clark Atlanta University and so you know we had almost 10,000 undergraduate students and they all look like us and it was awesome that uh, we could experience uh, the anti-stereotype just by our existence being in school there. So for me, I thought that was great. And I recommend it to anybody, uh, especially black folks, uh, uh, to have that experience um, for at least a semester. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting within your answer there. Actually, you started off saying that you got the academic scholarship mm -hmm. and you're going to opt to do that. I'm just trying to think of our initial conversation that we had when, when we first met. And I thought I was basically saying I wish that African-Americans would focus more on the academics mm -hmm. as opposed to the sports. And I thought you had a different <laughs> opinion that, that day. But now I found out you took the academic scholarship over the athletic scholarship, whatever that would have been. Yeah. So the options that were available for me were a little bit different, right? Like uh, how I grew up was a little bit different. Um, you know, so uh, in our conversation where we were talking about um, the wish that parents uh, uh, focused more on the academic side of a student athlete yes. as opposed to the athletic side and the athletic achievement of student athletes. I agree with you. I wish that were the case. Mm -hmm. But realistically speaking, most people, that's not their... Uh, option set right and so uh i like that college athletics specifically football and basketball as revenue sports are full of black folks black men specifically that are creating opportunities for other people to be awarded scholarships right and so with title nine the way that it is if football is a, a sport that gets taken away how many black women who are go to school on a track scholarship who aren't going to go pro because how many track people go pro how many of those scholarships would be taken away yeah. how many of those academic opportunities would be taken away right we don't focus on uh, the ancillary benefits that accrue to our uh, constituency uh, uh, in in college athletics but i do think that um uh, uh people can leverage their athletic talent and skill to get a great education even if it takes you a little bit longer even if but you know now colleges, even with the athletics, have to be better at educating their people. And you you can even see it when you look at interviews of football players versus baseball players. So many of the baseball players went from high school straight into the minor league system and then built their chops that way. But the ones who went to college are clearly more articulate. They're more worldly. There are a lot of things in that uh, in that subset that allow them to be more successful when uh, when it comes to the world. 
My question would be, if we took away those athletic opportunities, how many opportunities would be taken away from otherwise deserving black folk? Yeah, yeah. So be a missed opportunities if we didn't have, because they don't have as many options as some folks. Exactly. I take it that in your life, you probably got a lot of, had a lot of yeses. How, how do you deal with the word no? Because, I mean, you, obviously, it sounds like you got into Dartmouth, probably got into Duke, which is a yes, right? So it sounds like you got a lot of yeses along the way. How, how does, how does Kyle, how, how do you deal with the word no? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I think perspective is a hell of a thing. Um, no is a word. And it has a dictionary definition, but how we deal with the dictionary definition is all in how we perceive life, right? So there are a lot of people who will say no is an opportunity to get better and turn it into a yes. Um, that is a perspective that one can have on life. Um, I will say that no for me is just an incomplete thought, right? Because no normally comes with a why. And if the why is something that is treatable, then I'll focus on the treatment. I won't focus on the fact that somebody said no. Because you can't stop me from being me. Only I can stop me from being me. All you can do is stop me from getting from being me through your opportunity. Mm -hmm. That's going to impact you more than it's going to impact me in a very real way. Because I'm going to get mine and I'm going to do this with my people so that we can all be more successful. Um, and so no is an opportunity to turn into not what? Not yet, not now, not ever, not what? Uh, and so from the not, I can go around it, especially if it's not yet, right? What would make it now? Yeah. So I can get this with my people, right? Is that what you said? That is what I said. <laughs> so for the listeners, it, there's always a, a, a segment, not always, but we have a segment. Sometimes we do invent with Trent the Gent, best invention of all the time. Um, spent with Trent the Gent. I think I'm going to ask you that one a little bit later, so I won't ruin that one. But also meant with Trent the Gent. So what did you mean by my people? And maybe once you explain that, you can get into maybe um, talk about the Black Men's Collective, too. Okay. Cool. What I mean by my people are just people that I like and love and, and, and have an affinity for. Um, you know, I have an affinity for people that don't have the, that weren't born with the resources that I was born with. Right. That weren't born with the access and the opportunities that I was born with. So all those folks are my people. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, my uh, uh, fiance often talks about these. Uh, she's Egyptian uh, and talks about this orphanage of kids in Egypt and how smart these kids are and how awesome they are when you go to visit. And then you realize that they don't have parents uh, and, and they don't have much of anything. Uh, five days in a row, they might wear the same clothes, you know, but what they have is a uh, a yearning for life and a happiness that can't be taught even though they don't have much now imagine if we gave those kids some opportunities in a real way yeah. right what would they do with those kinds of opportunities so those little kids are my people yeah. right in the same way that my brothers from the black men's collective are my people uh and so the black men's collective uh, is an organization that uh, i founded with ian eddie uh, but it started with my boy dion being turner who is an entrepreneur. He runs uh, farmer's markets. Uh, prior to that, he was a researcher. He uh, uh, studied uh, um, uh, uh, socioeconomic impact on breast cancer um, and, and, and rates of, 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 of 
being uh, diagnosed with breast cancer among communities of uh, disadvantaged communities and specifically uh, health impacts uh, or uh, uh, sorry uh, eating uh, diet impacts mm-hmm. on that uh, uh, diet and socioeconomic impact on 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 getting uh, diagnosed with uh, with breast cancer but every year he has a dinner with some of his closest friends and normally it's about 25 people he's a very popular guy I must say uh, <laughs> but it's a dinner with about 25 brothers black men. And we do it all over Southern California. We've done it in South Orange County, downtown LA, uh, in the Valley, out here in the IE. Uh, He takes it around. uh, And we have just had an awesome experience. So my second year in attendance, oh, by the way, he's another Morehouse man. Morehouse. Uh, (laughs) uh, And so my second year in attendance, he put it out to us um, uh, that number one, people have asked him to do it more frequently. He was like, I don't really have the bandwidth to do this more than once a year. But for people that want it more frequently, why don't you do this in your own networks and then invite me so that we're not doing this with the same group of 25 people. We're doing this with a different and larger group of people that can provide more perspective. And so that event was the first time I had brought uh, um, Ian Eddy and uh, Avery Watkins uh, who is another brother of mine from uh, Morehouse College. Morehouse. There you go. Uh, and he lives in San Diego. He's an engineer uh, working for um, a, a, a supplier to Caterpillar. But anyway, the three of us were like, oh, well, we've got to do this. And so then uh, Ian and I uh, planned for one in uh, downtown L.A. We had hosted it at uh, uh, um, at my loft in downtown, and we just were able to hang out and have a solution-oriented discussion uh, about issues that impact the black community from the perspective of the black males in the room. And it was awesome. And so we, we had about 25 brothers. It was a very uh, awesome conversation. Um, and it felt like we were just at home with our people having a great conversation. And so now we just completed a Black Men's Collective number five. We have created ours as a quarterly event. And so... Uh, um, we're just excited about you know how it's growing and what it's growing into. We've uh, uh, incorporated our um, investment club, and so now not only do we plan on continuing to have these conversations, uh, we've also started having social gatherings outside of the Black Men's Collective's uh, conversation uh, and the Quarterstone event. Um, we're also having uh, uh, we funded our investment club, and so we plan on funding the solutions that we discuss in our. A black men's collective so we're very excited about uh, about this we're excited about the group of brothers that we've gotten together um, and we're excited about where and how it can grow Avery has since started a chapter in uh, in San Diego oh I didn't know and that so yeah man we're, we're we're out here growing our goal is to again have more solution oriented discussion and dialogue around the issues that impact us and our community and then put together groups of brothers that can fund the solutions that we're talking about right and so we talk about things like, um, as a solution, like mentorship. But how can we figure out how to scale mentorship so that we can more naturally and frequently have touch points with more young brothers? Because when you know one youngster doesn't uh, 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 have rapport with the older person or vice versa, that person essentially, when mentorship normally gets uh, lost in the wind, mm-hmm. right? But it's not the the fault of the mentor or the mentee that they don't have rapport. Everybody is not meant to have rapport. So how can we figure out how to touch more people uh, w- with fewer resources so that we can provide these opportunities to these youngsters? 
So we're excited about what we're out here yeah. creating. Great. Um, I know it's by invite only, so ventures don't get too excited. But uh, I did attend the, the last one, and Kyle's right. It, it's really a, a great place to be, and you, you, you have to be there to, to experience it. So maybe one day you guys will get an invite. Um, let's go back. <laughs> Tease them a little bit, right? Yeah. Uh, let's come back to McDonald's. And it, it doesn't have to just be relative to McDonald's, actually. Um, but I imagine anything that you do, even trying to start something like the Black Men's Collective, but definitely having McDonald franchises, it takes capital, right, to, to do something of, of that scale. Um, so let's just let's, let's phrase it a, a fun fun way because we, we talked about you know twenty five closest friends. So when when it's when it's about raising capital, would it would you prefer OPM other people's money or OPC other people's contacts or connections? What's the easiest way to to get the capital that you need. I Both. <laughs> Man. So, but here's the thing. If you're looking at other people's contacts, aren't you looking at those other people's contacts money? That's it, other people's money. Exactly. Right. True. True. And so, so I have a redundant question. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I would say, uh, it takes a little bit of this and a little bit of that. One of the things that we know, if you look at the example of the unemployment rate, is that for black men specifically, unemployment rate normally hovers around three times that of the general population. Now, a lot of people will say that that unemployment rate hovers so high because we as black men are not normally in a position where we own businesses and we can provide opportunities for those other black men. Because if we don't, who will, mm -hmm. right? People inherently want to hire people and be around people that they have an affinity for or a connection with on some level, something in common, right? And so it makes sense for the Jewish guy to hire the Jewish people who, with whom they share language, ancestry, uh, um, uh, uh, religion, and otherwise, uh, because they understand. They know that there are certain cultural things that they don't have to teach that person. That person can just take it, what they're doing to this point, and build on it, right? They can trust that. Well, with black folks, they they don't know that. So then all of those things that they're looking to build. So I don't fault the person that is the, the Jewish person in my example, right, for hiring the Jewish person. I fault a lot and I don't fault the black person for not owning the business. But I have an opportunity to be able to do something like what we're doing in SEAM and what we're doing in the Black Men's Collective to fund solutions. And those solutions should employ black men. So that we are reducing the uh, the the unemployment of black men and providing people an example that is different than what's in mainstream media of what success looks like. So you mentioned scene. Once again, we're gonna get to that in, in a minute. Let's get a few of these um, regular segments that we do. So this one's always we always do this one. So are you right-handed or left-handed? I'm right-handed. Right-handed. Something about me. I just attract right-handers. I don't know why. Are you right-brained or left-brained? I have no idea. You have no idea. Um, and the reason that I have no idea is because um, I'm left-brain trained, but okay. my right brain works. Yes. You know? So I don't know that, uh, that, uh, that I want to limit myself in which side of the brain that I am uh, activating. Mm -hmm. 
you know why why do you think and normally that answer most people have said they're a little bit of both yeah i think only had one when he was just like i'm laughing or whatever it is um why do you think people buy in to this left brain right brain thing and like pick one man I mean, well, I will say when you're five years old and you're in kindergarten and you're drawing something and the person you draw something and the teacher is like, OK, that's good. And the person next to you draws something. It's like, oh, class, look at this. <laughs> I think like it's a real thing that can develop in your psyche. Right. Like all of a sudden you might not think that you're creative because what you made at five years old didn't match the mm-hmm. teacher's expectation of what good art is as when uh, uh, how the teacher responded to your piece of art versus the kid that she uh kids piece of art who she took in around to the entire school right but i don't think that that is a good measurement of what good art is one person's opinion right but when that's the case oftentimes we say well i'm not good at art or doing things that are creative let me focus on math right let me focus on or same thing in the creative writing class i'm not the best writer so let me not focus on that let me focus on Uh, on this other side right but it's the same thing in math right it just happens to be that the uh uh that you know the kid got a better grade in this and didn't do as well in 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 art uh but that kid's art might be a little bit more esoteric than the other kids are that doesn't mean it's, it's better or worse and it doesn't mean that they don't have the faculty that could be developed it could mean that this kid started school a year later and has had more practice there you go Right. There are so many different things that impact us uh, from the time that we're uh, infants uh, that impact our how we process about ourselves. Yeah. Let's do the spent with Trent the Gent segment right now. Ooh. <laughs> and it's easy. Well, it, it probably isn't because you're going to have to give this a little thought. But you might know what's the best money you ever spent and why. My first house. Okay. Um, I bought a house in, in or a condo in Claremont um, right when the market, after the market crashed, uh, and right when the market started to go up. And then I rode the wave up and I sold in Claremont, a condo in Claremont, for more than I bought my condo in downtown LA. Uh, and so I've just been riding the wave up, uh, keeping my, uh, my, uh, my equity, my mm-hmm. equity there. So now I'm like across the street from Staples Center. But because I bought my first house, I couldn't afford it yeah. if I were trying to buy it today. And I wouldn't have been able to afford it if I didn't buy that first house. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, I know that's not your forte, real estate. Obviously, yeah. you've done very well in it. But I was going to say, do you have anything else to add for some of the listeners out there that, you know, just trying to even get that first house? You know, what's the, the best tips that you might have for them besides saving any any other words of wisdom yeah so your first house doesn't mean doesn't have to be one that you live in you know um there are opportunities that almost anyone can afford um somewhere around the country uh in our last black men's collective meeting we were talking about buying a a property with a house on it for a dollar in detroit Mm -hmm. those are options that are available to people you know for most people, if you if you can afford a roof over your head, you can probably afford a dollar and the property taxes that come along from a dollar. I don't know, property tax is 2% of a dollar, but, you know, <laughs> exactly. it's, it's, it might nothing. be two cents, right? <laughs> but, you know, if you buy five or ten of those and you just pay the $10 uh, uh, to acquire those deeds and you, qu- you pay the one or two dollars in property taxes, right, 
uh, and then you pay the other fees. So let's say $500 will buy you uh, a few properties in Detroit. You might be able to hold on to those until uh, the value has increased. If the value increases on each one of those to $500 and you had 10 for a dollar, look at how much money uh, or you had a yeah, 10 for a dollar each. Look at how much money you will have made. And yes. that's uh, and that's just, you know, low skin in the game. Yes. Right. And so when we talk about real estate investing and other types of investing, there's a whole lot of ways uh, to skin the cat. And you don't have to do it in the ways like buying a McDonald's, which requires a, a ton of money uh, in this day and age. Right. Um, you know, uh, and it's the same thing like for my dad. When he got into McDonald's, it wasn't expensive. Mm -hmm. Right. And so because it wasn't expensive for him, it's now a better investment for us uh, as a family um, because we've been able to ride the wave up. Exactly. Right. And so it's the same thing with the real estate. Figure out where you can get in at your, the point that you can afford and feel comfortable. And then if you can get into something that you can flip, flip it. But if not, get into something that you can hold, but it doesn't break your bank to hold it. Yeah. And then, yeah. like they said in the meeting, Black Men's Collective meeting in Detroit, yeah, we we see that that, that area is going to shift at some point. Mm -hmm. um, I think someone mentioned the year 2100. Obviously, I don't think I'll be around 2100, but back to our point in legacy and lineage, right? There's something that we can do for our kids and their grandkids mm -hmm. and something for them to have, too, so we can look at it that way. Um, let's get in our fill-in-the-blank segment. And so normally I do three little fill-in-the-blanks. You'll fill them in. I've added a couple of fun ones for you. So, uh -huh. <laughs> so the first one, don't stop blank. Get it, get it. Don't stop, get it, get it. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> so expand. You got to expand on that. Just for Hold the on. It's supposed to be filling the blank, man. It's supposed to be rapid fire. <laughs> I didn't think it. Just said, don't stop. Get it, get it. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Well, some I think may it's, not know what that means. I mean, for me, it just means it's the hustle. Like, mm -hmm. just like what I was saying about no. Like, no does not mean stop. It just means that this person said no, but what does their no actually mean, right? Yes. For for me, is don't stop. Figure out how you can get it. Get yeah. more. It's out there to be gotten. Somebody will, so why not you? There you go. Or in my case, why not me? Uh, second one, you can do it. You can do it. Right, you want to expand on that one, or you, you like you like that? <laughs> well, I think it's the same thing. It you is know the same thing. Like, so we'll, we'll move yeah, on. Yeah. Especially since you have little bonus ones. Conversations <laughs> are... A struggle man like that was the first thing that came so i just uh, -huh. uh i, I just sat with it i, sat I don't with think it. you were the first one to say a struggle so that's interesting so but you gotta say that all right well, why you feel that they're a struggle yeah so uh i relate to myself as a person who is um shy and introverted right uh and it's something that has just been that sat with me forever. Although I don't always act shy and I don't always act introverted, um, I, re I relate to myself as being shy and introverted. And it has worked for me in a very real way in most areas of my life. And so uh, when I say conversations are a struggle, uh, for me, um, I know that in especially one-on-one -on -one conversations, um, unless it feels like an interview, sometimes I'm not the most comfortable. So I can remind myself that conversations are a struggle when I create them to be. Mm. But when I create them to be something different, 
right? By acknowledging that I've created it as a struggle, I can then change that creation, create it to something different. So I can say conversations are something that I'm interested in. Yeah. Right. Or this conversation is one that I am interested in. Yeah. Right. I would think if you're an introvert, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. But, you know. Well, it we depends. Are. You know, like the definition, like the dictionary definition of introvert is that like I get life when I'm by myself. Mm. Right. And then it takes life out of me to be around people. Well, like I love to host people. But when they leave my house after like karaoke or whatever we're, we're doing <laughs> that day, uh, I am exhausted. I want to sleep for three days. Right. Because I'm naturally an introvert. But I also enjoy entertaining. I enjoy being around people, right? But it does, it's yeah, draining. It takes a lot out of you. Yeah. Do you really karaoke? Oh, 100%. I got four mics in my house. <laughs> right? Do you, have just, a favorite, do you have a favorite song that you karaoke? Uh, yeah. Uh, um, you wanna, are you going to bleep this out or should I just say the clean version name of the song? Oh, no. You, just say it. All right. I mean, so CeeLo Green, Fuck You is my favorite song. <laughs> To karaoke to <laughs> really? with all of my people because you could just start screaming out obscenities uh, and curse words and, and and the like and and you know it's it's all good and uh, I'm silly and so you know I could just be silly with that song and everybody can join in eventually. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right, back to the blanks. <laughs> These are the fun ones. At least I thought they were fun. And I think I already know what you're going to answer, but that's why it's fun. Okay. I'm loving it. <laughs> you're like, this dude's corny. <laughs> I was almost going to say you just because. Just because. I, I but, mean, anything you know, I can fit in there in. for you. Exactly. Right? In the McDonald's. Exactly. I mean, you got to yeah. say I'm loving it. Right. So, da, 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 da. I'm loving it. There, there's that karaoke voice. Hey. Um, the next one. And then. That'll lead us to something else. Things aren't quite what it seems. There you go. Look at that. I yeah, knew exactly. But I mean, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about seem, if you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> no, you were going to say something, or what? Like, Trent is corny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. That's funny. I didn't even get the double entendre there, you know? It's like, yeah, pun intended. Pun intended. Um, yeah, so let's talk about seem. Yes. So share, you know, what it is because it's, it's, it's pretty simple, but it could be pretty complex. So how long, I mean, we, obviously we don't have 10 minutes for you to explain it. So in a <laughs> nutshell, explain what it is and the opportunities out there for um, all the listeners. Yeah. So SEAM is the Cooperative Economic Empowerment Movement. Uh, and we have created uh, this movement to increase the turnover of dollars in the black community in the Inland Empire. Um, and we'll do that by increasing the incidence of entrepreneurship. One of the things that uh, uh, that I think that we take for granted is that entrepreneurship doesn't have to be um, geared for a single person to be successful, right? We can have community-owned and community-based uh, businesses, uh, similar to the model of publicly traded companies when they, in my estimation, were really public, right? Right now, they're traded on public exchanges, but most of the stock are owned by a small handful of high net worth shareholders. And by net worth, I really mean hedge funds and, mm -hmm. and folks like that, right? And so, yes, those hedge funds represent millions and millions and millions of people. But when they vote your stock, they're voting your stock, right? You're not voting your, your, your stock in a, in a real way. Right. And so, um, you know, it's uh, uh, I think that that model lends 
to wealth being created for the small for the small percentage of people that are in the management of those hedge funds and the management of the corporations and they're lock and step creating that for themselves not creating it for uh their millions of, of shareholders um but i don't think that has to be the case i think that we can create both community-based businesses and and uh and uh, scalable businesses that can have true communal ownership and so we are here and seem to create uh, uh, businesses that have communal ownership and that provide people who may not otherwise have the opportunity to run an entrepreneurial endeavor to do so. And then over time, those people would uh, have a structured way to buy us out so that we in our community-based fund can reallocate that capital in a new business and provide a new opportunity for somebody else. So, yeah, I, I guess at the end, we'll let them know where they can get more information and the cost. There's business. Is it, is it a membership? Yes. The first day? So the business and their personal. Yes. Or individual yeah. memberships as well. So um, at the very end, Kyle will uh, let you guys know where to go. So you can definitely um, peep that out, so to speak. I, I had a question. It, it might be. The same question. It might be Black Men's Collective. The answer might be same. But are you working on something that can change the world? Because I know 99.999% of people aren't. Do you feel like you're working on something that can change the world? Or is it one of those? Or you have something else looming? So absolutely. I think uh, what we do every day changes the world, man. Providing first jobs for people who uh, who probably wouldn't have it, especially when you hear uh, the stories uh, uh, that employers have of 26-year-olds who have a master's degree and have never worked anywhere and don't know how to show up to work on time. Mm. I think that's changing the world. But we have uh, an investment company, Web Investments, and we've invested in a company called Kidget. And I think Kidget has a real opportunity to change the world. It's called a Keep It Green Tech, and it's a manufacturer of charge stations for electric vehicles. Uh, one of the things that we do well is uh, our grid management software from a utility perspective uh, is excellent and amazing and, and uh, some of the best out there for uh, charge station management uh, uh, with the grid. Um, the other part that I would say is, is awesome is that we have a, a V2G capability, and V2G is vehicle to grid. So we can treat your car like it's a roaming battery. So if you have solar on your house and you have a, a, a electric vehicle and you and it's V2G compliant and you have a V2G compliant charge station like the one that you could buy from from Kigit, um, KIGT, uh, we can at night power circuits for your house from the car. So you can be grid self-sufficient uh, if you're in uh, an area that gets enough sunlight. And you don't have to uh, outlay additional money for something like a, um, a battery, uh, a large battery storage, almost facility uh, to be able to provide power at night. You would have a, an, an active working investment that's also providing your power in the evenings. Once we get to, um, to uh, autonomous vehicles, that'll be even more, uh, um, more uh, pertinent because autonomous vehicles uh, that are in use in daytime that don't have as much demand at night could be providing power to circuits all across cities and, and uh, uh, um, or during uh, uh, emergencies, like let's say Hurricane Sandy hits and mm -hmm. you need power. Those autonomous vehicles can strategically provide power to various circuits with Internet of Things telling those cars exactly where to go. Yeah. And when they need a new car there to replenish the power supply and all those things. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think even Elon Musk 
supply batteries yeah. to hurricane vi- victims in, in the past. So exactly, exactly. Definitely. And so I think uh, I think that can change the world, or imagine what that type of technology can do in a third world country uh, in West Africa or someplace like that, where uh, uh, where you know, like if you're in a village. Um, that is up and coming, but doesn't have power and a lot of those other things, that grid can essentially be remote. And so, you know, what they'll be able to do uh, with power generation is going to be much different than how our grid is set up here in the United States. And I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to be a part of it. Just I'm excited to be a part of providing first jobs to kids. And I'm excited to be a part of of the Black Men's Collective and what we're doing there. And I'm uh, very excited to be a part of seeing what we're doing to create opportunities uh, for black folk. Got your hands in a lot of things, so I, I love it. Um, let's wrap up. So this will be the last question, not unless you say something that takes us somewhere else. So watch, watch yourself. <laughs> so it's on you if we go one more, and then we'll give people a, a way to, to reach you. It's also some, something I read, so not sure if it was Wikipedia, so it's not always true. But I read that you said that you were lucky. You had, you know, all this is... is has to do with luck did i read that yeah okay yeah so with that said you know what is your definition of luck is it the is it the old when preparedness meet opportunity or what is kyle's definition of luck and why do you feel that you've been lucky so when i say that i've been lucky really i'm talking about the opportunities that were provided to me uh, just because of who my parents are, mm-hmm. right? Like I was lucky. I didn't choose to be born into my family. I was lucked into that, right? I, I don't I know. I interrupt you. I heard the other day, and I'm still trying to figure it out, and I didn't look it up, and it was some deep person, and they said, you actually do choose your parents. But anyway, okay, cool. <laughs> I'm looking into that. Cool. But yeah, anyway. but if it was me, it was me as an embryo, not me as a, or, or me as a, uh, uh, my soul someplace mm-hmm. else, not me as I know myself today. Yes, exactly. Right? And so since I didn't know that person, I'm just going to say me. I didn't choose it. Yes. Whether or not me, my soul chose it is a, or, or my soul was chosen for it is, is, is a different thing. But again, um, I'm lucky because I was born into this uh, situation. And for me, um, growing into, uh, uh, um, growing up in my family, like, has just been the ultimate blessing. My parents have been married uh, concur- like to get, have been married since 1971, mm-hmm. uh, and got together uh, a few years before that. Um, and they've been married without interruption since then. Uh, you know, my, my dad quit his job at McDonald's because he can't, uh, his kids can't inherit his job. So he wanted to be able to pass on a legacy, uh, to his children. And so, you know, me being one of those, I am extraordinarily lucky to be, uh, in the position that I am in. And I'd be a fool if I squandered it. Yeah. And mom ain't raised no fools. <laughs> I love it. Well, we as a podcast community and myself, I'm lucky to have you as, as, as a guest sharing you know, all the information that you share with us today. And you're definitely inspirational and hopefully you know, there's a lot of young individuals listening that will, uh, you know, listen to what you're saying and to, and to heed some of the advice that and, and words that you've given us today. Man, thank you so much for having me out here today. You know, it's, it's you came all the way out here to uh, to me, and then uh, you know, you took the time to have me on your your podcast. I'm uh, really appreciative of that. It's my first podcast. Oh, man. there you go. 
Right. See, these things don't happen every day. Some of us get excited about this kind of stuff, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So with all that said, um, let's give them some some ways and means into to reach you. If it's, um, like I said, you got your hands on a lot of things. So yeah. there might be a lot of things to write down here, Vintage. Yeah. So. But no, I'll just give you a couple. Most okay. uh, most of my social media handles are uh, candles, are K-W-E, the number two, the letter B. Um, uh, reach us at seam at info at seam c e e m dash i e dot com. Um, again, we were talking about seam. The cost of membership for seam is a hundred dollars, whether you're a business or an individual. As an individual, uh, you get access to be a part of the network, the network that is helping to support these businesses. And again, you also um, own a share in the company, which means you have a vote, um, an equal vote as everyone else in how the company operates. Um, the other thing you get is uh, uh, you get a um, a proportionate refund of the profit of any of the businesses based on how much you spend. So if you spend $50 and there was $50 uh, made in profit in our business, you would get 100% return, right? And so it's the uh, 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 that's the uh, the benefit of, of being an individual member. Of being a business member, um, we will provide uh, uh, varying levels of consulting. Uh, you'll get access to that network of people uh, for a certain uh, for a certain amount. You could be uh, listed on our website as a seam vetted business, um, as well as uh, have interactions, uh, um, Yelp style interactions with our customer base, which is focused on helping black businesses to grow as opposed to saying, you know, we can't we can't go there because of X, Y or Z. We'll say, no, I understand you had a bad experience, but we're helping this entrepreneur to be able to provide better service and better product experience to customers. So let's help us help this person to be able to provide the level of of, of service that you're accustomed to. Right. Because if we don't help them, who will? Yeah. And we don't help us. <laughs> and are, are the businesses, are they mainly in IE or are there some? Yes, that's, that's true. Well? So like our McDonald's locations go as far west as Baldwin Park and La Puente area and as far east as San Bernardino. We have most of those that are in between the 210 freeway and the 60 freeway and the 605 freeway and the 215. Good. Mostly up to 10 freeway. There you go. Well, Kyle, once again, thank you so much for for being a guest and I truly enjoyed our time. So hopefully you did too. Thanks, man. It's been awesome. All right. Awesome. Where well, there you go, Venters. Kyle Webb is a scholar and a gentleman, and I'm glad to share him with you. So please share him and his restaurants and this podcast with your family and friends. Until next time, Mickey D's.